Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, how you doing? And a good morning at you. It's December 5th. It's a Thursday and I ain't alone. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I got me a guest. I don't do a lot of guests. Oh, wow. I like I like the, the sound of my own voice too much, oh. I guess. Right? This guy, though, is more of a talker than I am. I can tell that right now. You really are. Uh-oh. Because you, by nature, are outgoing and talkative. I, by nature... Am quiet and introverted. Wow, I know, surprising maybe, but yes. I'll, but given all the people you've met who are performers or in entertainment, right? You find, I bet, a lot of them are sort of extroverts. Yeah, introverts. Introverts. No, you're going to say no. No, no, I I, I agree. No, I. Yeah, That's what's so funny. Yeah, no, I think so too. Anyway, so who is he? <laughs> This guy's name is George Lang. He is a Pittsburgher, more so than I'm a Pittsburgher, although technically, yes, not even technically, I've lived here longer than you have. Probably. Yeah, Yeah. I I absolutely have. But this guy is Pittsburgh personified. He is also an internationally recognized photographer of... Geez, the rich, the famous celebrities, actors, actresses, social giants. At all ends. I photographed many famous people, and I photographed people working in factories. Yeah. And I photographed kids playing football. And I, one of the things my dad used to tease me about is that I never got more excited photographing the president than I did a kid playing football in Garfield. Which speaks well of you. <laughs> what presidents did you photograph? Oh, God, I don't want to go there. No, 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 no. I oh, didn't say only that. Only Democrats. I didn't say that. No, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. We, so let's just set the table before we get it. I mean, go to georgelang.com and check out the archive uh, there, and uh, you'll see. I mean, is there anyone you haven't photographed? So how did this happen? Let's start at the beginning. You got your first camera, I seem to remember, at at seven. seven. And there's a picture of me in front of um, a Chevrolet in the driveway in Squirrel Hill. Okay. That's where you grew up, Squirrel Hill. Yes. And my mother grew up in that house, too. Oh, it's what did I tell you? I mean, how (laughs) Pittsburgh is it? Right, right, right. And, uh, And there's this picture of me. And I, when I look at that picture, I think, wow, I've been taking pictures every day since this picture of me in the driveway. When I went to summer camp, I, I was taking pictures. When I went to Alderdice, I was doing pictures for the newspaper and the yearbook and my friends and someone needs a passport picture, call George and whatever. I, I would just take Was pictures. there any doubt that that's what you would do professionally? Well, when you're young, you know, yes, maybe I'll grow up to be a photographer. And I had my heroes. Annie Leibovitz was my hero. And, um, Later on, Dwayne Michaels, who grew up in McKeesport. Yeah, what is it with all the great photographers from around here? This is just an awesome place. It this is, is this isn't is an, it? This is an awesome place, and uh, and even skipping, I, I I left after high school. I went to Rhode Island School of Design, and then I moved to New York, and I got a job with my hero, Annie Leibovitz. Jeez. And I worked with her for the last six months of Rolling Stone that she was at Rolling Stone and the first six months at Vanity Fair. And I was in heaven. And she was, she was the real deal. Like, she was, she was all in in taking these, these pictures. And what did I learn from her? I learned rhythm. There's a certain rhythm to the way that people work at that level. And Annie had her rhythm, and eventually I would have to learn my rhythm. But by studying Annie's rhythm close up, I learned how to find my own rhythm. Okay, you're going to have to, for those of us who ain't <laughs> photographers, what do you mean by ryth- the rhythm of between you and the subject, the rhythm of how you approach the, the shoot? The ru- what, all what of that. Do you mean by ryth- all the that. rhythm of, of how you hire people to help you, the rhythm of how you deal with your clients, the rhythm of how I, I create these shootings, um, which is really just creating a stage to interact with the subject. And... I learned 
that if I keep the center of gravity a little bit off, something happens. It sure. doesn't have to be much. When you told me here, you're going to sit in this chair and it's going to sink a little bit. So I'm a little bit lower. Yeah. So so it just shifts you a little bit so something opens up in a different way. It makes you more vulnerable, does it not? When you're sitting lower than you normally do, it yes, feels yes, strange. Yes, that's right. exactly the same idea. Right, right. Wow. So I worked what? with Annie for a year. And then I had... All I had to show was a big portfolio of pictures of Annie working. <laughs> and I started going to these magazines. And the first magazine I went to was called Avenue. It was given out by limousine to people who had a net worth of over a million dollars on the Upper East Side of New York. That's but, why I never saw it. I thought Avenue. I haven't but, seen But it they like hired it. very good photographers. Um, and I knock on their door and I go in and I show them this work, and they say, wow, this is great. We'll put you on our try-to-use list. And I said, oh, don't, don't put me on your try-to-use list because I'll never hear from you. I'm actually not going to leave your office until you give me an assignment. Whoa. And Michael Schneerson was, was the editor. He now writes for Vanity Fair and is an author and amazing, but he gave me an assignment to photograph a doctor at the hospital for special surgery. And I went and I did that, and Michael liked it. And they published it. And then every month for years, I would take pictures for Avenue Magazine. And it was all kinds of people, from the head of Tiffany to uh, all black and white, by the way, too, to famous architects and interior designers. And it was, it was amazing. So, so, I'm curious, though, about what you were telling me before, before we started this program. Because you... I mean, this guy is effusively in love with this city. Right. And he, he was away from this city for what? For 40 years. 40 years. From high school until this last June. Okay. So the 40 years you left are the 40 years I came. I took your place. For <laughs> I, I and held, now we're here together. I, know, I held, I don't know if Pittsburgh can take the two of us here at the same time. <laughs> I was here holding down the fort. Thank you. Okay. So you were telling me, though, that you came back. I want you to share what you told me about your mom. Right. Uh, he came back to care for his mother, who right. didn't seem to require much care. No, she was God. very independent. She was very independent. My mom grew up in Pittsburgh. In the same house. In the same house in Squirrel Hill. And she loved Pittsburgh. She would go out every day, whether it was the lecture series or the symphony or the theater or whatever was going on culturally, she was there. She was at the museum. She would have friends leapfrog to keep up with her because the person that had lunch with her couldn't keep up to dinner. One of my favorite stories about my mom is that when she would go to a party, she would ask to be seated at a table where she didn't know anyone, and she had a ton of friends because she wanted to meet new people. That's what she loved. So, you, you, have, you have a lot of her. Oh, in you. you. I mean, you. quite <laughs> clearly. Thank you. That's yeah. a compliment. No, yes, it is. But I mean, you but are the, just, yeah. But my whole career is based on curiosity and, because I'm a freelancer, confidence. And that's in, in, in some ability, you know, that you develop over the years. Yeah, he must be but, good. But what, what drives my, my, my work is intense curiosity. But for years, I was taking all these pictures. I was taking the pictures of, that you see of the Seinfeld cast. I was taking Jim Carrey's movie, movie posters. I was doing all the ads for TLC, Cake Boss and Honey Boo Boo. I was photographing you know everyone. What? Okay, stop. <laughs> because I saw, I was looking through your list and I thought, Honey Boo Boo. And then I think the next thing I saw was Yo Yo Ma. Right. I thought, this guy from... <laughs> Honey Boo Boo to Yo-Yo Ma. Okay, so Lynn, what connects them all? What connects every one of these people? Well, celebrity. That's not the answer you want. No, because whether I was photographing Yo-Yo Ma or Honey Boo Boo or a factory worker in Thailand or a researcher in Germany or whatever was going on, every one of these people is searching for joy. I believe that. I believe that. That's what I'm looking for every day is where joy lives. And from my mother 
growing up with her and my father and growing up in this town with the people on my street. I was talking to you about Natalie Myers, who was so influential in our both teaching us about modern art and about good liberal politics growing up. Um, I went out in the world searching for joy, but I didn't understand it until I came back a year and a half ago to take care of my mother, who was ill, and she passed away a year and a, like a year ago, July. And when I came back, and I'm living in the house that I grew up in, and obviously a pretty emotional time, but also my mother was awesome till the end. She was just awesome and still curious, and we would have these elaborate meals out on the back porch, and it was just so much fun. But I realized when I came back, because I was writing every day, that I, there was a certain feeling I had growing up in Pittsburgh, and it was a feeling of great joy. I had a wonderful childhood here, and it was filled with so much joy that when I went out, I was searching to recreate that joy with strangers. And I didn't understand that until a year ago, a year and a half ago. And I was taking all these pictures and having great fun. I was having a great career and, you know, being able to pay the rent and make some money. But I wasn't, I didn't understand what the connective tissue for all these pictures that I was taking. And oddly enough, because it was a good storage facility on the north side, I was parking all my pictures on the north side. And it became enormous archive just from the 90s. There is 85 drawers, file drawers of pictures. Each one is filled with folders. Each folder is another assignment. Oh, wow. There's just incredible stuff. The only posed picture of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates together. Jimmy Buffett and Warren Buffett dressing up as each other. Ah! You know, I had so what? much fun. What? And after my mother passed away, I went to this archive, which I would visit periodically and say, I should be friends with these pictures, but it was overwhelming because sure. I didn't understand why they existed, except that I took them. But that wasn't enough. And I went there after my mother passed away, and I said, oh, these are all about trying to find that feeling that I had growing up. And here is um, Kate Spade painting her toenails at her desk. There's that feeling. Here's Sophia Loren putting on her makeup before a shooting. She wrapped herself in a towel and got a glass of white wine, and she's doing her hair and makeup on the floor by herself. There's that feeling. And I just went on and on. There's that feeling with Jim Carrey pouring milk over his face or putting clothespins around his face or Kramer from Seinfeld walking a pigeon with a leash. Or, you know, I would just have fun, but it was all trying to get to that feeling. And once I understood that it was about this feeling I had growing up, I, I was so happy. And I took four drawers back to Boulder, Colorado, where I was living, and I started making prints last winter. I had never printed this work, really. And well, so, yeah. because I didn't, I didn't understand. I, I just kept thinking, I don't need to print the work because I'm still taking the pictures. I don't need to do a book because I'm still creating what I did, but I never stopped to really understand what it was about. Hmm. And then once I looked at it and said, oh, it's all about this search for joy and creating joy and finding joy in everyone. And you did this without a therapist? <laughs> what the hell? I know. Maybe if I had what? a therapist, maybe if I had a therapist, I would have found it earlier. I, mean, I would have I figured it out earlier. But but it was just I was just having fun. <laughs> I have had so much fun. I go into these places and everyone's saying, "Well, what do you want this actress to wear?" And there's a rack of Prada and Gucci and the most beautiful clothes known to man. And what do you what color do you want her lips to be? Really, that and, becomes your. Uh, and, and what do you think of this hair? And and I'm having to make all these decisions. And the truth is, I don't care. Right. Because. What's on the surface is not what I'm photographing. I'm trying to get at something un underneath. And, and I was doing it unconsciously. It just was not a conscious process. It was the craziest thing. I would be more concerned with the music playing than the lighting. More concerned with what? Making them, your subject, uh, feel comfortable relaxed was, to be who they were, to be open. I mean, how it was it was to allow them to show me that place that okay. I'll tell you a, a crazy story. Oh good. For instance. 
I had an assignment to photograph John Stewart when he was doing his show, Daily Show, and Oprah having a conversation okay. at John Stewart's apartment. The two of them together. Yes. And John Stewart and his wife were very nervous having Oprah up, and they had just had a new baby. <laughs> and they said, the, the PR people called beforehand, and they said there are three rules. You can't show where they live, John Stewart's apartment. You can't go in his bedroom, and you can't photograph the baby. Those are three rules. So I go up in the apartment, and the doors open right into the apartment, and it looks right into the bedroom, and John's, <laughs> John's on the floor playing with the baby. So I said, I said, John, can I take a picture of you? This is, this, this is awesome. He goes, sure, go ahead. And I take these beautiful pictures of him playing with his baby, and in 10 seconds, I've broken two of the three rules of, yeah. and gotten the most interesting picture of the day before Oprah even came. So that happened over and over and over again. And the way I, I think of it is if you have a piano and all of the white notes are what you normally see, if you would see Jim Carrey, he does all these faces. Oh, yeah. We, but those yeah. are the white notes. So he would come in and do all those faces. I wasn't interested in all those faces. I would go in the dressing room and say, what's going to happen when you get old and your rubbery face you know, starts, to, starts to go south? And he looked around, and he's a very creative guy. And I've done more shootings with him, I think, than any other photographer. And they're very fast, and they're very fun. And there's actually little said they happen quickly. But this was for an Esquire cover, Esquire magazine. And he grabbed a clothespin that was sitting around, and he put it on his face. <laughs> and he looked in the mirror, and then he grabbed another one. <laughs> Suddenly, he had these clothespins around his face. We go out, and we take this picture, and that becomes the cover of the magazine. And it's just being curious, just like my mother is going, what is this show? I can't miss it. What is this new restaurant? I have to try it. What is this poet speaking at the Carnegie? I have to hear them. It's about being open to life. Like, I mean, that's another way of being curious, right? right? Just always open. Right. It's not this. Right. Not this. But I would argue that we all wake up searching for joy. That, that underneath it all, that underneath all our obligations, that we search for joy in our partner, in our kids, in our community, in the people that we work with. I would guess that when you come on here, you're trying to share something really special with, the pe with, the, with your audience, with you guys. <laughs> and, and that's what I do with, with, with my photography. I don't let all of the the money, the client, all the people at the shooting. You never feel, okay, so some of these people are some of the, I mean, in one room you got, you got uh, what, Bill Gates and, uh, and Jobs, and you got Buffett and Buffett, and you got all these. You never feel like awestruck, or, or you just see them as fellow human beings. You don't. I don't think of it like that You don't at all. No, no. no. So you're not at all blown away by their, what I used, well, the word I said before, celebrity. I'm not blown away by their celebrity, but a lot of those people are really special people. And I'm blown away by them being special. But it's not their celebrity that interests me. In fact, I did the ads for the Seinfeld show. I had never seen the Seinfeld show. I don't really care <laughs> about the characters they play. I care about who they are as people. And the fact that they can create those characters is awesome. But what is that bizarre Jason Alexander shoot that you did? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm, I'm remembering <laughs> that I said, what the Okay, heck? so that was a shooting for Esquire where he was illustrating like five different ideas. And in one, he's a German tourist. In one, he's in drag. In, um, and one, he's, he's like broken his leg or something. <laughs> and, and they're just... They're just so the, working <laughs> with these creative people. I mean, like you say, Jim Carrey's just a, you know... But, you know, I'm thinking of like Robin Williams was like that. But underneath it is like this, you know, something that's not joyful. There is something searching and, and, and a little crazy and incredibly intense. Right. And I like with people like Jim Carrey, I think he'd be like that too. Right. I mean, like wrapped so tight. Right. And all you see is joy. I mean, it sounds like a little Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm like looking around at the world. I mean, my, my nine-year-old, I have two little, not so little, nine and 12-year-old boys. And my nine-year-old, I go in this morning and I said, Asher, I'm going to do this, this podcast today and I'm going to talk about joy. And he goes, Dad, joy is not having to get out of this bed. It is so <laughs> warm and comfortable. There you and go. Then Jackson comes down for breakfast, and I go, Jackson, he's my 12-year-old. I'm going to talk about joy. He goes, Dad, my, my hockey team won last night. You know, that feels good. If they would have lost, that would have been okay, too. But it really makes me happy that the Avalanche were still, he's still in Colorado a little bit um, with his teams. Um, oh, yeah. Are they loving Pittsburgh if you transplanted them? Well, that's, right? that's such an interesting thing because you're really pulling up the rug. We yeah. had spent seven years in Boulder, and they're growing years, and they're friends and everything, yeah. and we bring them here. And wow. Jackson's really into baseball. Like, he is so into the Colorado Rockies. We would get to the games two hours before the game starts, <laughs> like waiting for the doors to open, and he would race out to center field, and he would take both teams' jerseys for batting practice. And whoever was doing batting practice, he would put on their jerseys. He knew all the... Players. Players. We would go to spring training every year. Jackson's doing a podcast that's just starting up. It's going to be called, the working title is How to Spit Like a Baseball Player. <laughs> but we just did the first recording, and, he, and, and that's going to be amazing. He's really special. But Jackson's looking for joy, too. He goes into these baseball games, or anything he does, and he, you know, I see it in him, and that just makes you cry. Like, you can't. He is so into baseball that he comes to Pittsburgh. He moves to Pittsburgh. He doesn't know anyone. He's on a team in Squirrel Hill, and he's at first base. And he's, like, you know, talking the whole time. He's, he's going, you know, two outs, get this guy here. If the ball goes here, go here. And the umpire tells the two dad coaches, he said, you know, you're only allowed two coaches, and you seem to have three. <laughs> but he's uh, searching for that same thing. And my wife, who is just extraordinary um i'm so lucky to be with steffi she's um working at ecs which is where the boys are going to school and uh wait a minute ac ecs environmental charter school oh oh yeah okay i know where that is um which is also really special yes steffi wakes up at 5 30 and meditates every morning and the first moment i hear her voice in the morning there is joy and it's because of that practice she does, but also who she is. But that practice allows her to get to that best place of who she is. My God. I know. Well, wait a minute. I want a, <laughs> I want a personality transplant. I want to be like Lynn, you. Lynn, since I walked in this room. I am a room, curmudgeon and a depressive. Uh, and, and, and what have we talked about since I walked in this room? Well, because you're commanding. <laughs> because you Joy. left your, your uh, questions at home and I brought mine with me. <laughs> but it's really weird. It's this, it's this funny, you know, it was the but, way that I was brought up. And yeah. not that I don't get depressed and not that I don't get sad and not that bad things don't happen every day, but it's really not what I choose to obsess over. Well, you're emotionally healthy. <laughs> well, thank you, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I see. You didn't have to go to a therapist. Never I just did. came to Lynn. No, yeah, right. I'm seeing my therapist later this afternoon. Do you want company? No. Oh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> or, oh. or we can just get a couch here and, and start now. So, this guy could name drop more than anybody else that I know. Maybe. So, tell me. See, you're not going to tell me this. <laughs> but you can ask. Who struck... You're not going to tell us who the jerks were. That's... You're the, not. The question that I'm asked all the time is who is the best person you ever Yeah, who are the, who do you and like who the, the most? Worst. Who was the worst person? You went in thinking, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to meet blah, blah, blah. And they're just awful. You're not going to tell but, us. No, but, but you're, you're thinking that someone being awful makes a bad picture. Oh, no, I'm sure that's not. Well, from right. your point of view, that's. Ted Turner. Good. I go to photograph Ted Turner. I had a bad experience with him, too. And it's Did for you? GQ. And yeah. I go down to this plantation in Tallahassee or something, and he's living like 
I know. A hundred years ago in the South. And we're at this table. And he says, okay, let's take this picture. And we go out. And we're shooting for like two minutes. He goes, that's more time than I gave Time Magazine. That's more time than I gave Sports Illustrated. That's all you get. I said, I need one more minute. Grab your rifle, get your dog, and hold the rifle up. So I had five minutes with him. And he was talking like that the whole time. And the picture is incredible. He's waving this rifle. And there's this golden (laughs) retriever like up against him. And it's this awesome picture. So for you, I mean, that worked. But he was not a... Warm and cuddly. But guy. I don't want to be friends with no, any no, of these no, people. No, 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 I, I don't I want to go to dinner him, with him. I interviewed him, too, when I was on TV. I walked into the green room to say hi to him. And he was the biggest jerk. Yeah. I, I mean, he was not willing to, just common courtesy, right. you know? Right, It was really. But I like that, be, right. Well, I, well, right. Maybe I did a good interview with yeah. him, too. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. But I remember yeah. thinking... Jesus. Right. I thought that too. However, the picture was awesome. Okay. And that's 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 what you're going for. The picture. Right. Not to be Ted Turner's friend. Absolutely. I don't want to be friends with any yeah. of these people that I photograph. However. However, period. Yeah, but it has happened. We're not going there. No. I mean, well, rarely. Yeah. Rarely. Rarely, rarely. <laughs> because I'm not there to have lunch no. or dinner or anything. Right. I, I, I am there to take pictures and then get back to my life. Can we... I hate to go here. Uh-oh. Yeah, let's just do it. Because I had said to you, you know, in, when we were texting back and forth, no thank politics. God I don't have to talk about Trump. And you said that you photographed him, obviously, yeah. in, the, in the 90s. Yeah. So when he's doing... Uh, was he in doing Apprentice then? No, before Apprentice. Before Apprentice. What was so crazy about shooting Trump is he was kind of a joke, and he was also kind of fun because he would say, I will do anything if you get me on the cover of the magazine. Anything you can dream up, I will do. So when I photographed him, I would come up with the craziest ideas, and he would always do it, and then the next time he saw me, you got me on the cover. What do you want to do this time? That was it. It it was exactly the same as what you're saying. There it is in a nutshell. Yeah. And because you were serving his interests, he must have been very congenial. But his interests were very narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Get me on the cover. Get me on the cover. Get me in the White House. That's all Get he cared. Me in the, I mean, wow. That's all he cared. It was all ego. And those subjects are awesome because they don't know anything about photography or care about the lighting or anything else. They just want they, – they have – they have a very narrow thing of what they want. Now, <laughs> the thing that I, like other people have told me that, and the thing is, is that in order to do what I do, the kind of photography I do, people have to trust you. Your subjects have to trust right, you. Right, right. And the deal with any relationship that we've been in is you need someone to trust you. And in order for someone to trust you, you have to be trustworthy. It seems really obvious it's not that obvious because I get lots of pictures of people that would not be good for their careers. And those pictures never see the light of day because I don't do that kind of photography. My, my photography is based on me being fair. If I go into someone's home, they have let me into their home. They have not let me into their home to go through their diary. They have not let me into their home to, you know, to dig up some dirt. They've let me into their home like John Stewart did. Mm-hmm. He knew that if I took pictures in his bedroom of his baby, which I was not supposed to do, that A, he could control what went out in the world, and B, I would do something really special. So the pictures of him with his baby... Never went out. Of course. But, but he got them. But you gave them to him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, but what about the people then? You said people who don't know anything about photography, they'll just do anything. What about the people who know something and they're getting in your way, you know, saying what they want? But that's also want. a challenge. Like, all of these things are challenges. And, and people will oftentimes say, no, 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 I won't do this, I won't do that. And I have a thousand ideas. I'm just bursting with ideas. So if someone shoots down 900, I have another 100 ideas. I mean, it doesn't, like, I find I'm in this really awesome place when I'm taking pictures. Are you still 
taking pictures? Are you still you're still doing celebrity things? Not not stuff? as many not celebrities. As much that stuff. Like my my last big project was for a Pittsburgh company, Dick Sporting Goods, and they hired oh, me to photograph the emotional side of youth sports. Some of those are so wonderful. The ones I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And and the assignment was was so special. There's a guy in the that's one of the top marketing people out there named Frank Igrek. And he had this idea that they have plenty of action pictures. They have plenty of pictures showing the brands and everything clean and neat. He said, there's a feeling that everyone knows that's involved in youth sports. And I know that you know how to capture that. And he basically said, here's a chunk of money. You go anywhere you want in the country, shoot any sport you want. It has to be high school or younger and show me that feeling. Wow. I mean, that's, where, an, that's an incredible assignment. So where'd you go? I went to, well, I started in Boulder in Jackson's Little Because you knew that, and yes. you knew there was... And, and, and I was going there anyhow, okay. so that was, that was an okay. easy get. Okay. But, but it was funny when, when the, uh, at the first practice of Jackson's Little League a couple years ago, when I started on this project, all the dads, not all the dads, but like six dads are there. And there's a dad coach. And, and he goes, uh, this dad, you're the third base coach. And this dad, you're the first base coach. And this dad, you're going to be in the dugout making sure that everyone gets up at the right time. And George, you're the photographer. And he gave me permission to take these pictures. Just because I have a reputation or an assignment, it doesn't mean that it's easy to go into really intimate situations and get a picture of someone crying or get a picture of someone frustrated or get a, a picture of a team that's just lost. And those are the pictures that I was after. Not, and also the joy, of course. But one of my favorite baseball pictures is of Jackson. He had just played his best friend's team and lost. And he went to hug his friend and there are tears coming down. And, well, you know, yeah, it's all uh, there. But I also went to Oklahoma and photographed girls wrestling. <laughs> and that was incredible all these girls are walking around after their matches with kleenex up their noses because they have bloody noses and <laughs> tears coming down their eyes and everyone's hugging each other and it's it's beautiful and that's what i was interested in i was interested in that moment when they step on the scale and some of these girls are heavy and trying to get down to a weight and everything else and there are all these issues going on and the mom's sitting there like this and the girls stepping up on the scale but everywhere I went in that arena, everywhere, there was that feeling. Gee, and I also I did, did track up in New York. One of the most extraordinary uh, stories that I did was in Pittsburgh because I was visiting my mom and a friend of mine told me, you have to see this football league up in Garfield, the Garfield Gators. And it's this African-American league and they start the kids at five in full contact tackle. Right. And... These dads, a lot of them have had hard lives, and they are just determined that their kids learn how to behave, how to be disciplined, how to work as a team. And my job was not to go in and be judgmental. My job was to go and find that beauty and that joy on those fields where it is tough in the summer and it's 100 degrees and they're practicing. It's tough on these fields that aren't, don't even have good grass or a scoreboard, and they're trying to find their identity. And it's, it's incredible, but there was one coach, his name was um, James Reed, they call him Coach Hank. He's now at the Hill District Rebels. And I followed him, and I went to church with him, and I was there, he would wake up at four in the morning and be going to the, he would be at the laundromat washing all the kids' football uniforms. And he was just all in, and he still, and he has this beautiful son named Jordy, who is this extraordinary child. And whenever I am around this league, but especially with Coach Hank and these kids, it's, it's the most beautiful, special thing. And yet, people are getting killed. Like, there was a coach that was killed in October, you know, driving with his two-year-old and 11-year-old. And I don't even know the details, but there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of struggle in their communities, and yet they rise. 
and yet there is this power. And one of the things that I try and do in my time back, my short time back in Pittsburgh, is to shine a light on how beautiful and how incredible everyone in our community is, not just the celebrities. I'm really not that interested. No, in I know. I, I, am, I, I, I get more... I get more and learn more on the on uh, Canard Field in the Hill District than I learned in any Hollywood soundstage. I mean that's that's a fun experience too. And I have, if you go to Times Square and later this month, uh, there's a big campaign for "Say Yes to the Dress," and I did the pictures of that last month. Okay. And they'll be everywhere. So I do balance all these things. But I feel like when I do a big ad campaign or when I photograph celebrities, I'll be telling them about Coach Hank. Like, he has become a hero to me. And there are people, they're just incredible people. Since I've come back, this town has been so generous and so loving. The symphony hired me to photograph their conductor. I mean, it just feels so awesome to be able to be involved in a cultural institution, A, that my mother loved so much, and I was brought up loving. I mean, I remember going to see uh, Steinberg conduct the... Oh, for heaven's sake. You know, the Beethoven's first was my first classical record that I had, and with with, uh, Steinberg conducting. And to be able to photograph the conductor of... And I have to tell you a story about... um, uh, and, and I'm spacing out on his name, Ma- Monfred. The, Monfred, uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, and, and so I have this assignment to uh, photograph him. And, and they say, we, Monfred would like you to come hear a concert before you photograph him just to see him work. And my wife, Steffi, and I go to the concert at, at Heinz Hall about three weeks ago. And we're there pretty early, and Monfred would like us to come up to his suite to meet him. So we go up to Monfred's suite, and there are a couple of people there. He is the most charming person I have ever met. He's going around giving out chocolates and telling stories and so sweet and just charming. This is the current. Yes, but he's only there 10 weeks a year. Well, that's I, <laughs> Hanek. Hanek. Monfred Hanek. Yeah. I'm really bad with names, but it's not an aging thing because I've always been bad with names. People will say, I'll go, uh, oh, guy's name again, Ewan McGregor. Oh, Ewan, you know. Ewan or, McGregor. Or whoever it is. I can't remember name. the people. Hey, you. Yeah. I, I'm horrible yeah. with names and have always been horrible. Um, but anyhow, Monfred has us up in his suite before the concert, and it's 15 minutes, 13 minutes before the concert, and he said, would you like to stay for the prayer? And so I said, Oh, I've yes. heard he's very religious. But listen. All right. So some of the musicians come, and I know that it's a slightly it's a controversial thing that, yeah, because, that he does this. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, there is. But we're all there holding hands. There are about 20 of us. And he closes his eyes, and he starts talking in the quietest voice. You can barely hear him about what each piece of music means to him. And they're playing a piece that night that was played in the camps in the Holocaust. And when he plays that, he's thinking about the people at Tree of Life. And he's going through each piece and their personal connections to each piece that he's talking about. But it's so quiet and it's so powerful. And then they say the Lord's Prayer and, and we go down the steps. And the musicians and Monfred go to their side of the stage and the rest of us go to our side of the stage. And he comes up there and the concert begins. Hmm. And it was one of the most, like, forget the religion... <laughs> I would have been uncomfortable there if it would have been like if we would have been down on our knees <laughs> crossing ourselves yeah, or whatever. Right, right, right. But he w- it was the most soulful, beautiful prayer for to really ground himself and whoever was in the room for what was going to happen wow. creatively for him. Wow. And I just I I was just so moved and it added I mean the whole audience should be able to come up in a suite before the concert. Boy, you are so your mother's son. <laughs> I mean, my God. Did you know my mother? No, Mom. What you did. Are you, no, what was her name? Aline. Aline Lang. No, I wish I had. <laughs> oh, what a Well, what's so team. funny is I appreciate that, but when I see it in my boys, that crazy curiosity 
So here are your boys growing up in the house your mother grew up, up in. And I grew up in. But you know what's funny? So Pittsburgh. Is, right. There's all these boomerang people that come back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. But what, what's so funny is that when my mother was sick, I never thought about coming back to that house. And I was basically saying goodbye to that house. And I was very emotional about this being my last weeks in that house. And then she's gone. And then we have to put it up for sale, which we did. And it didn't, you know, there were some issues. And then... We had to take it off the market. And come New Year's this last year, 2018, this is so crazy, it's not even a year, my kids said, well, we have to go to Pittsburgh for New Year's. And I said, that's crazy. My mom's gone. The house is up for sale. It doesn't look like it did. You know, there's no reason to go there. And they go, of course we're going there. We always go there for New Year's. So we came here on December 28th, last December 28th, and it's a miserable Pittsburgh winter night. It is cold and rainy and dark. And we had missed the fall cleanup because we weren't here. And there were leaves piled everywhere. And it was just, and my mom's not there for the first New Year's. And it's just sad. And we go in and we turn on the lights and we turn up the heat and we start making pancakes. And the boys say, see, it feels like home. And that's it. And that just flipped a switch. And Steffi, who's from Nashville, said, this is where we're supposed to live right now. And we started packing up and moved here. A little child shall lead them. <laughs> Beautiful. Wow. My kids don't love that story now. No. <laughs> they, were, they weren't actually thinking that would happen. No, they were thinking, no, I want to go back to Boulder. But something beautiful happened. We, we waited six months to go back to Boulder from when we moved here. And we just went back two weeks ago. Yeah. And they go back and they're so excited. I have a big show in Denver now with a, it's, it's around a, uh, a woman that I went to RISD with. Francesca Woodman. That's another Rhode story. Rhode Island School of Design. Right, okay. right. So um, we go back for that. I'm doing some events there. And we go up to Boulder, and they're with all their friends. And they're staying with all their friends. And they just disappear into their sure. old world. And the last day, the friends are going, you can stay in our, like they all have guest houses. You can stay in our guest house and go to school with us. And, you know, you, you can live here again. And Jackson says, we don't live here anymore. We live in Pittsburgh. And we get back to Pittsburgh two weeks ago at 1.30 in the morning, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to make the kids wake up and go to school. It's too late. We're all fried, and I'll let them sleep in. At 7 in the morning, Jackson is, Dad, Dad, we, we, we have to get to school. He, like, they're, they're here. Wow. And wow. Pittsburgh has really been generous and Well, we're, we're so glad you came <laughs> home. A Pittsburgh boomerang. Right. Wow, wow, wow. So we got to tell people, first of all, if you go to, the we if you go to your website, right. you share a lot of your stuff right. there. And, and it's georgelang.com. It's L-A-N-G-E. L-A-N-G-E. And um, I just got a storefront. Where's the gar where in, in Garfield, in Garfield, across from Spork, Spork. You told us that. Yes, and, and it hasn't opened yet. We're going to open probably January 1st, but I'm okay. going to be selling prints there. And generally, I saw on the, the your prints what they're they're not inexpensive. They aren't inexpensive. They're like a thousand dollars. Right, signed, made by me in yeah. my studio. And these are mostly the prints. These are, are mostly, mostly the, the prints, prints from the '90s that okay. were in storage on the north side. They have never been seen publicly for a real presentation until we we did an event at at Weiss House a couple weeks ago. Right, right. Like, these are very iconic pictures that are secrets. And now a couple people have friends. And some will be at Mendelssohn Gallery on Ellsworth Avenue on a week 14th. from Saturday, the, December 14th. Right. Um, I think around 4 p.m. There's a... And the most fun for people really is to get in touch with me and come and just, I'll give you a a viewing, and I walk you through the, this box of 100 prints that I made and tell the stories of the pictures, and it's really... What? It's fun. You mean people can call you and say, I want to spend some time with you? And you Please. <laughs> Come on over. 
It's great. It's really, it's really fun. You are something. <laughs> you really are. Aww. Are your high school friends still here? Have you reconnected? Have That's you? so interesting. You, you know, my whole, my adult life, I was not that into ever looking back. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't like weddings where they play old Motown music. And I really did not stay that close with most of my high school friends. A couple. Muzz Myers, who... Remember I the a, balcony on Walnut Street? Right. That must, Muzz that's is Muzz awesome. Myers. And his family and, and some others. Bobby Feldman, who has been extraordinary. They ran the balcony. That's right. But I have a picture of Muzz when I was six weeks old. We're in our playpen together. <laughs> it's wild. So I've known him that long. And... Uh, but I didn't, I wasn't comfortable like going to reunions or any of that, whether it was college or, or high school. And then this process of rediscovering my work and moving back to Pittsburgh, I learned a really basic lesson, which is sometimes by looking back, it opens the door going forward. So th- this last weekend, there's a turkey bowl. And these guys that I went to elementary school with right. have been playing for 51 years. And I went to that game. And I never wanted to go to that game. And I went there, and there was more love and more excitement and more hugs. And it was just, it, it was just awesome. It was very sweet. And, uh, and it took me a long time to embrace what I loved about Pittsburgh what I loved about growing up here and uh, and all these people that have that were so kind to me then and have been following my career and everything. Like one of the things that's so funny about social media is that all these people know. <laughs> like right. if, if you cannot speak to someone in ten years and and they, they know, know everything. They know everything about, about my boys yeah, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I, so let's get back to some of your. There's nothing here. No, I want to see. Um, the, the print and the T-shirts, and I, I said the problem with Trump, and my pictures are about yeah, yes, search for Okay, okay. here's what I, I want to. I'm trying to remember. See, I left all my notes at home, and I'm trying, and I have no memory at all. But uh, <coughs> Sophia Loren, yes, is like since I was a child, is to me the I. Ideal, the like, platonic ideal of woman. Yeah, I mean, the it, most, the most elegant woman I've oh, ever met. I mean, she's so. So I was photographing her for Allure magazine, and I was living in L.A. We were shooting in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And I rented an Italian villa in Beverly Hills. Okay. Because I thought she would be comfortable there, and I had this idea of what can I do. To show that the most elegant woman in the world is very grounded. And she is. And she is. I mean, she's So just... I thought, I have to do something very utilitarian. So I came up th- with this idea of putting her in a beautiful dress and putting a leaf blower on her. And having her go around the garden blowing the leaves. And she, cu- she shows up, no PR person, no hair and makeup people. She wraps herself in a towel, gets a glass of white wine, sits down on the floor of this little guest room, and starts doing her own hair and makeup. Yeah. It's one of my... And that picture is... There's a picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. I, it's just wonderful. And it's that, also... It's also... What, what happens on so many of my shootings that I get this picture in the first five minutes. And then... Because I, I am looking for that feeling. I am desperate to find that feeling. Even though I could have never explained that to you for a year and a half ago, what I was doing there is, where's that feeling? Where's that feeling? Where's that feeling? And, and I get it right away. And then we, we put her in this beautiful Todd Oldham dress and put the leaf blower on, and she's out there, and she's exquisite. Now, something happened after that shooting that is very unusual for me. I've never gotten an autograph. I never asked for autographs. But at this shooting, we did this beautiful... Uh, lunch afterwards and we had linen napkins and linen tablecloths and I wanted to make it very special and I'm sitting across from her and after lunch she does her lips and presses them on this napkin and I asked her to sign it and that's the only autograph you still have that I have it framed Sophia Loren's luscious lips yes with her. Oh. it was really good oh. 
Okay, here's another big Pittsburgh guy. Andy Warhol. Ah. So this yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Notice, did the joy just leave him? <laughs> I'm just saying. Did I just deflate this most, uh, you know, gloriously well, ebullient character right, here? Right, right. Um, yeah, and I'm not. It was surprised. not that much fun. No, I'm not surprised. I had this assignment. It was my well, no. second assignment, um, and I had after leaving Annie, and it was to photograph. 20 New Yorkers, and it was for a French magazine called Decoration Internationale, and Mary Paul Pillay was the editor, and she gave me this assignment, and, and all I had was a camera and a lens, and nothing. I didn't own lights, I didn't own anything, and I was photographing Paloma Picasso, and Alexander Lieberman, who was the editorial director of Condé Nast, and uh, Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. And I go to Andy Warhol's by myself, there's no assistant, there's no entourage, there's nothing, and um, it's at the factory. I think it was in the East 30s. And they said, you can shoot in the basement. And we go down in this completely nondescript room. And he goes in the bathroom and leaves the door open. And he's sitting up on the sink. And he's trimming. I thought he was trimming his nose hairs, which was freaking me out. But he was, he was trimming his wig. And then he comes out. And we do this picture. And we don't talk. It was never any... No discussion. Conversation. We didn't talk about Pittsburgh. We didn't talk about people. I mean, it, you had to know he was from Pittsburgh, like you were from Pittsburgh. Right. Did you think, well, we can talk about Pittsburgh or something? You know, do you, so did you even try to have a conversation? I don't remember. You don't remember. But I do remember not talking and thinking but you this, do is, remember. this is uncomfortable. Yeah. And then we, well, we went out in a uh, stairway and just took some natural light pictures. Why am I not surprised? That he was not more fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, but... Brilliant. Meh. So he he grew up in McKeesport, and another, I think, one of the greatest photographers of all time, yes. Dwayne Michaels. Dwayne Michaels. Grew up in McKeesport, too, around the same time as, as Andy. As Warhol, yeah. And, uh, and Dwayne's lived in New York most of his life. And when I was at, at Rhode Island School of Design, I went to MIT to hear Dwayne give a lecture. And he speaks very fast, and I recorded everything. I had my little cassette recorder, and I recorded it. And I go back to school, and I spend the next week transcribing every word he said onto this legal pad that I still have. It became my Bible. And Dwayne became such a huge force in my life. He was really my guru. I, he was the guy that I got everything I needed creatively from. And he is just this extraordinary creative artist, human being. He is amazing. And then I moved to New York. I, I took a workshop at the Mattress Factory with him, actually, one summer early on. But I moved to New York, and I would run into him. And he'd say, George, call me. Um, my uh, number's in the phone book. And I would go, Dwayne, I can't call you. You're Dwayne Michaels. <laughs> you know, it's too big a deal. And finally, two years ago, I called him. And we had this long lunch, and he says, and he's now 87. He says, come, come to my uh, come to my." my townhouse let me show you something and we go to his townhouse and he shows me 20 short films he's made in the last two years and some are so brilliant some are so silly but he just he said if I have an idea on Monday it's done on Friday wow. and and he just really was amazing at the end of my first visit there I gave my camera to his assistant Josiah and it's a Leica SL. It's a very simple camera, but if you don't know it, it's, it, it's a little tricky. And I told Dwayne I wanted to take this picture, and we go out on his balcony. Oh, I love this picture. And uh, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want our foreheads touching. And we did this, and his, his assistant's fumbling with my camera, and I'm sitting there so close to Dwayne, like so close, and Dwayne goes, what are you thinking? I said, I'm trying to download everything in your brain through my forehead <laughs> right now. But, but Dwayne has been the most, since then, I see him a lot, the most generous, incredible uh, person. You know, he is, he is really the real deal. And he's such a Pittsburgh treasure, like such a treasure. And I want everyone, there's, he has, anyone going to New York should go to the Morgan Library and... 
there's another gallery in Chelsea that both have big plates. But the Morgan Library is just, it's worth it well, just didn't in New York. He, recent, re- relatively recently at the Carnegie? Yes, he had a big a, retrospective. He had a that, huge uh, retrospective. That Linda Benedict Jones curated, yeah. who's also I mean, a real Pittsburgh treasure. Gee whiz, what a setting. We live in, I mean, coming back, when you come back with fresh eyes, which I have done, and you meet people from developers to uh, conductors to people that raise money for the symphony, like my awesome cousin Jody Westfield, Weisfield, to um, to my cousin Bert, her father, to uh, Stacy Weiss at Weiss House and Sid and Andy and everyone there, oh, to the people at. Uh, I'm going to space. Um, it's always dangerous when you start listing the uh, people. I know it. You never, I know it. It's like if you get the Academy Award and you start thanking people. Why am and I, then you why forget. Why am I forgetting? Um, I don't know. The group that I just, we just, uh, they worked with us on the print sale at Weiss House. And oh, the, Anna Hollis and yeah. uh, Amachi. Amachi. Yes. They, um, they were so, that was horrible. But but no, the, no, but they were Maybe. they were amazing and we had this beautiful event at Weiss House and they help kids whose parents are incarcerated and we raised some money for them and to Steve Mendelson where we're having our show to the people at Clockwise that are doing this T-shirt collection called First Name Basis that I'm doing where it has the Andy Warhol picture and it just says Andy handwritten underneath or the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and it just says Steve and Bill and that's gonna be fun that'll be at my and my storefront. I mean, everyone has just been extraordinary. Okay. So, something to do at the beginning of the year. You're going to Garfield, Penn huh. Avenue. Penn Avenue, across from the restaurant Spork. And what you will find there is Lynn will be on a couch. I will be, <laughs> I will be playing therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want your joy. I want your joy. Well, when I left Boulder, I had a print sale. And, and no one had bought my prints when I lived in Boulder. And as I was leaving, so many people came by to get these prints. And, and they had never seen them before. Like, they had never been seen. And people said, yes, I'd like the one of Seinfeld. Yes, I'd like the one of Jim Carrey. But mostly what I want is I want you on my wall. And that was the most, like, that, oh. that was such a nice thing to say. And I feel like I don't have, like, when people ask... Which is your favorite picture? Which is the hardest subject? Like for me, all that's a blur. What's right. really what I'm really trying to do is take this feeling and share it, and let right. people recognize it in themselves and live with it. And even for the holidays, if someone once sees a print on the website, we can we can get them really quickly. We're we are we are printing them at the studio now. Okay, you heard all that. I just want and I shouldn't do this. But we've been talking about joy, and I normally today would have been talking about the impeachment hearings and Trump and all that kind of stuff. And I swear over there, I saw something that I don't think you said. We're speaking of joy, but Trump... He prevents us from sharing joy. (laughs) And that's the greatest crime of all, because we are all sharing this planet together. We are all human beings. I have been in my work to places with far-right people. I have had relationships with far-right people. And I respect them as much as I respect those of us on this side. And we are all here as human beings. And to say things that are rude and mean and, and crazy about each other is not okay. No. We're, we're going to have different politics. We're going to think about solving problems differently. But when you get to the human level, which is where we live most of our lives and where our joy lives and where the best parts of who we are live, we have to respect each other. Okay. He has no joy. Donald Trump, clearly. There's an emptiness there. There's There's an an emptiness. emptiness. But I think that probably inside he's having a lot of fun. No! It's true. No! It's true. It's true. I don't want him to have fun. You know what? I know. But if we could... If he could just appreciate how we are all here and we are all trying to have fun and, and we are all trying to live happy lives and, and find a good place. The part that's so horrible about him is he doesn't respect 
Any, that, well, that we're all here, or even the people that he hires to support him. As soon as he turns on them, they're garbage, and well, he says no, they're garbage. He doesn't care about anything or anybody except Just himself. Himself. Right. Oh, f- do we have to leave on that? No. <laughs> I find myself now. Look, my joy with that was my mistake. I am so sorry. It is okay I get it. because it's that's my- something that we're all having to juggle now, and okay. it's, it's really hard. <sighs> but Lynn, <sighs> Lynn, there's there's this other thing too that's 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 much bigger than Donald Trump. It's much better than Donald Trump, and it's the way out. It's the way through because if we sit here obsessing about all of his daily. Things that he's doing. Yeah, we lose. I mean, there goes yeah. years of our life. That's right. We I, can't I, and, let him. Can't let him. And, and I don't want to do that. And if we focus on the power of this, then that is that is the real way forward. It, it has to be. Joy to the world. Ah. And coming from this wondrous being, I'm a big, huge fan. Now, George Lang, L-A-N-G-E dot com. Check out this guy's wondrous work. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lynn. (laughs) Thank you. And bye, guys. I'll see you Monday. This is Thursday, right? Yes, I'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.